You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we've got all the fallout from the divisional round of the playoffs, taking you round the league with Will Brinson of CBSSports.com and DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with NFL on TuneIn contributor Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, we appreciate you taking the time. Mike Malarkey's out in Tennessee. Was this really a mutual parting of the ways as the team claims? Uh, no, it was not, as a matter of fact. I actually, I don't believe the team ended up saying it was mutually parting of the ways. I think they actually just said they parted ways with him. And, you know, from my understanding, this was uh, about the development of Marcus Mariota. This was about the uh, Mike Malarkey not wanting to, to fire his staff um, and not wanting to make changes. And, and the fact that, you know, the organization just didn't have a lot of confidence going forward um, uh, with with Mike Malarkey, and if that's the case, then you really owe it to yourself to make a change. And you know, late in the process, uh, they now have they now have an opening, and uh, it's a pretty good one actually. Ian, when, but when you see when it's how this organization has struggled since Jeff Fisher, uh, they've never had an opportunity, let's just say for a very long time, to get in a position that they're in. It was it, you think it was more of a personal decision to be made, or it was one that was strictly business? Is that what you just alluded to, which is get Marcus Mariota in a position to play much better football? No, I think the personal side is fine. I mean, everybody likes Mike Malarkey. He is definitely considered to be a good guy, but it's just, you know, are you getting the most out of your players on the field? And that's one thing that's universal is the Titans have, um, you know, the, the Titans have a really good group of players. They have a quarterback who people really like. Supporting cast is really good. In a place where players want to come, they have money. There's a lot to like. It's just, are you maximizing what you can get? And I think with Mike Malarkey, they just didn't feel that way. So, Going to bring in a new coach, a new leader, and, and you know try to maximize the talent. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, let's get into some of your other reporting. The Giants expected to hire Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer when Minnesota's season is done. Why did the Giants think this could be a good fit? Well, you know, they, they have really liked um, – you know, they have really liked the, the job that Pat Shermer has done at the quarterback position with the Vikings. I mean, Case Keenum has become a playoff quarterback, and that's amazing. Um, you know, the only real knock on, um, you know, the only real knock on uh, on Shermer has been his, his tenure in Cleveland. But honestly, look back at some of the rest of the coaches. He looks like a Hall of Fame coach with his record at Cleveland compared to what some of the other guys have done. Uh, just, you know, based on what you have to deal with there and the environment and all of that. Um so I think his tenure honestly looks pretty good, um, and uh, you know I I think it's uh, I think it's a situation where the Giants are pretty happy. Speaking of maximizing opportunity and the team being happy after that performance by Blake Bortles going on the road against the Pittsburgh Steelers team and and really playing great football, similar to what he's been doing when they've won every single game, which is not throwing interceptions. Are they buying into yeah. him a little bit more? You think there may still be conversation of free agency, uh, a free agent quarter, maybe coming, quarterback coming in? You know, I don't get the sense that uh, the Jaguars really want to spend big on the free agent market this year. They have Bortles. They have, you know, he's under contract. He'll be making $9 million next year on the, on the fifth-year option if they decide to pay, which I would expect they will. 
um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really a thing where, like, let's say you want to replace him. Who are you going to replace him with that's better? You know, Kirk Cousins, okay, well, you know, maybe spend $30 million a year on Kirk Cousins. But what if you don't want to do that? Who are you really getting that's better? You know, you want to draft a quarterback? You can, but now you're drafting in the late 20s. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him, maybe because he's the best option they have. And honestly, when the lights come on, he's been pretty good. Ian, since it sounds like you're getting texts as we speak, and I know a journalist always has to multitask, is that confirmation Josh McDaniels will be heading to the Colts? <laughs> well, now, of course, we know no deals are allowed to be done until they're done and, and, you know, until they stop playing, which is why we see expected to hire with the Giants, with the Lions, and now with the Colts. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would be, you know, to me, this is all over but the shouting. You know, this this is one that's, uh, this is one that's done. The Lions are one that, that's going to get through. These are all going to get done, you know, barring a snag in negotiations. These are, these are the top candidates, and these are guys that are expected to be hired. And, uh, you know, we've had seven openings now, and uh, we have two left. Ian, consecutive years out of Pittsburgh that Ben Roethlisberger mentions that he's going to retire. Do you think this is the year he does it? I don't. And actually, he talked about that some after the game, saying he looks forward to being, you know, back with these guys. And, uh, uh, you know, it, this is uh, we've all, we're always going to sort of debate it. Uh, but he came as close yesterday as he had um, in a long time, saying he's going to be back. So you know, I know the Steelers expect him to be back. I hadn't told him they expect him to be back. So I think that's how everyone's going to proceed this off season. And let's wrap it up in Houston. Take us through how things evolved within that organization. A couple weeks ago, there was a perception that Bill O'Brien could be on the hot seat, and then we found out this weekend he's got the contract extension. Yeah, and you know, I think it was it was more of a situation of O'Brien not being sure that he had the alignment with the GM and everything that, um, you know, and, and everything that, uh, um, and everything he was dealing with with General Manager Rick Smith. They were clearly not on the same page. And I think once you know Smith left the organization, then it was about can you get a real football GM in there? And they got Brian Gain in there, and all of a sudden. Um, you know they got a pretty good they got a pretty good thing going there in Houston. O'Brien's got the four year extension, Gaines got the five year contract, and they're going to you know move forward together, which is a pretty cool thing. And great information as always. We'll let you get you back to reporting, and we'll chat with you later in the week on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Will Brinson of CBSSports.com. Well, let's start with that game in Pittsburgh. Given what you'd seen from Blake Bortles in recent weeks, how surprised were you by the fact he played well yesterday in that road victory? I'm always surprised when Blake Bortles plays well, and that does not put me in exclusive, unique company, but... I think the Jaguars and Nathaniel Hackett and Doug Marone did a really good job, guys, of identifying ways in which they could beat the Steelers from a schematic 
and um, you know, just sort of tactical approach standpoint that utilized Blake Bortles. Specifically, they had Blake throwing on early down. And if you look at the numbers, my colleague Sean, Sean Wagner at CBSSports.com and, and Pete Briscoe talked about this too, but if you look at the numbers, Blake is actually a really good quarterback on, on the early downs. And he struggles in obvious passing down situations. And what the Steeler, I mean, what the Jaguars for the most part did early on was to put him in spots where the Steelers weren't expecting a pass. They were loading up to stop the run. Blake was completing passes, and I think that that built the confidence for later in the game that allowed him to execute on third down in critical situations. And more or less, I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, the Jaguars coaches ran circles around and deep pants the Steelers coaches. And I, yeah, look, I think the Steelers have a good coaching staff, but I don't think they showed up in a big way uh, against the Jaguars. And I think a lot of that led to Jacksonville coming out to a big lead Poor execution by Pittsburgh, who was probably looking ahead to New England, and Jacksonville did enough to steal the deal. How great, and I'll use the term great because there's a couple stats with this football team that I think that really dictate to many that they are. You think about how they force fumbles or even interceptions for that matter. You get 21 interceptions, 22 actually now with the one that we saw about Miles Jack. 22 interceptions. They take two back to the house. They have 18 forced fumbles. They have 13 recovered. And of those 13, they actually took six back to the house, including the one yesterday. How magnificent is this for a defense? And no one's really putting them in the class of the 85 Bears defense and also that 2000 Super Bowl defense that was by the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think, Cordell, anybody's putting them in the class with the like the – 13 Seahawks or whatever the, you know, the Jaguars, basically what I mean is the Jaguars aren't getting the same respect that we usually throw around for a final four team that's playing lights out defense at this time of the year. You know, usually with a team like this, we say, well, is this the great, you know, is this one of the great defenses? Well, people feel like, well, the Jaguars are really good. I don't know if they're one of the all time greats. These guys are not just technically sound, fast, uh, explosive, can rush the passer, can cover the best. Uh, you know, wide receivers in the league, but you're right. They turn the ball over and they turn those, those turnovers into points, like quickly, not just give Blake the ball and maybe right. set him up for some points. They turn it off and take it right to the house. The Miles Jack interception you're talking about, that was beautiful. I mean, yeah. he, he tip-tap-toed, you know, was it Nate Burleson with the toe-drag swag he always talks about. It. I mean, like, right. Miles Jack cradled that thing like an egg and then toe-dragged on the sidelines. Um, you see Yannick Ngakwe, Scoop and score off, excuse me, Telvin Smith, scoop and score off of Yannick Ngakwe's uh, strip stack. I mean, they're just guys that ball hawk and, and make plays. And I, what's interesting about it is how they match up against New England because they really can, you know, potentially cover Rob Gronkowski. They really can potentially get pressure on Tom Brady with four guys up front. And they really are deep and talented and young and explosive at every level of that defense. I, they just don't have a, you know, you can run on them a little bit, but they don't have a huge weakness. Talking playoffs with Will Brinson from CBSSports.com. Will, let's go through what we saw on Saturday. Nick Foles played officially. Did you see enough in the win over Atlanta to make you believe he can hold this offense together against a very tough Minnesota defense in the NFC Championship game? Yes and no, Brian. Yes, I mean, like, look, credit to Eagles coaching staff. Um, They did a tremendous job adjusting. They, you know, Doug Peterson unleashed the RPOs on, on, on the Falcons' defense, and they didn't know what to do. And once they started moving the ball and had a lead, uh, they were able to really 
sort of lean into that offensive line. And, and man, those big boys up front for Philadelphia opened up holes all day uh, down the stretch, and I think that's what really helped Philly win. The problem that I, I see with, with the matchup against the, the Vikings is that, just like the Jaguars, Minnesota doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses on defense. You know, we saw Minnesota, and it's sort of being lost in all the insanity, and we'll get to that in a second, but it, you know, Minnesota shut down Drew Brees completely. He shut, shut down Sean Payton and Drew Brees for an entire half of football before they exploded in the second half and made it a fascinating game. I don't think that the Eagles are going to come back from 17 nothing against Minnesota if they're down that at halftime. And as much as I like the Eagles' defense, I just think that the offense is not strong enough, not stout enough to really produce the points necessary against that, that Vikings defense. And, and you know, frankly, it probably starts with Nick Foles. How do you handle this the, the situation with Mike Malarkey uh, there in Tennessee when – He's done a great job. He's gotten his team to a position last year where they had a chance to go to, to win a division and go to the postseason. A quarterback get hurt in that game against Jacksonville. And then this year, they play well enough to beat Kansas City in Arrowhead, uh, which is a tough place to play. And they ran into a juggernaut of a team in New England. But yet, thinking that he would come back, now he comes back today. He's fired. What's your take on that, Will? Yeah, I thought that... So I kind of look at this the way, same way I look at how the Bears ended up with Mitchell Trubisky. I like the end result, but I'm not a big fan of the process. Like, I, I, look, I don't want to – Mike Malarkey um, was, has been, done a lot of great things as a coach in this league. I mean, you know, he was an offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh forever. Um, you know, I think got the, he's gotten various head coaching jobs. Exceeded expectations for, the, for a Titans team that had a lot of early picks. But I think when you look at what happened with that offense – this year, and you see sort of the, the step back that Marcus Mariota has taken, um, the lack of early development, and I get that it's, it's, a, it's perhaps an injury thing, but with Corey Davis, the wide receiver they took early, and then, you know, Derrick Henry and the usage with him versus DeMarco Murray, I like the idea. I like the idea of bringing in somebody like Josh McDaniels. It doesn't appear that's going to be an option for the Titans, which is kind of interesting, and so that makes the process even more fascinating. To me, what John Robinson and Amy Adams Strunk did from the perspective of playing yo-yo with Mike Malarkey, and Mike Malarkey came out and was open about this, right? He said, hey, you know, this is affecting my family and not in a positive way. I don't think that that's how you want to act as a franchise and as the leaders of a franchise. And I realize that the ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl. It is to, to get the best possible team and the best possible coaching staff in place. And I understand that maybe there are better options out there for the, for the personnel involved here and maybe to work with John Robinson. But I'm not a big fan of how they handled you know, letting Malarkey flail in the wind, leading up to a playoff game after he, snuck, you know, after he beat the Jaguars in Week 17. And then, you know, do the whole thing where there's rumors about him getting an extension. They give a voice, you know, they, they say that he's going to end up sticking around. And then you yank the carpet out from under him. To me, that is, that is a telltale sign of dysfunction and, and not a great process, even if maybe the result is fine. Well, Brent, at CBSSports.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will, last one for me, now that we've had a couple days to process things. What do you make of Steve Sarkeesian's play calling for the Falcons with the game on the line Saturday night? That shovel pass was interesting, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that's the nicest thing I've heard anybody say about that shovel pass, Brian. I, I don't think that you're gonna I don't think you're gonna have a lot of people tell you that Steve Sarkeesian did a great job with the play calling. You know, you go back and you if we're just talking strictly about the final possession there in the Eagles red zone, I think you look at the first down and the fade to Julio 
uh, from the nine-yard line, and you can you can live with that. Uh, maybe a little bit of a better throw. Ronald Darby had very good coverage, but a better, better throw perhaps Julio brings it in, and we're not having this conversation. The second down shovel pass uh, is inexplicable. I, I don't think that anybody could can justify it. I, I would I haven't I don't think Sarkeesian's talked about it, but I would love to hear the justification of it. You know, you bring in you know Taron Ward, your your third down running back, and you you try and get cute with it up the middle. It's just not you don't do that when you have the skill position guys like Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman who got you down there, Julio Jones. I mean, I get that Matt Ryan threw a pass, but you're sort of taking it out of his hands. The third down slant to me is what they should have called on first down. Uh, Darby was playing the same off man stuff that he played. Uh, on that first down, you could have squeezed it in there, and then you have three downs from two instead of instead of uh, three from the from the nine, um, and that was a good play call. And the fourth down, look, the Eagles saw it coming; they knew it was coming, and you cut the field in half. That's those are two things you don't want to do as a play caller: is, is be transparent to the defense and to minimize the amount of space you have to work with in an already compact area. So I thought that you know it was a poor decision to do that. And uh, look, Derek Coleman, bless him for for being a, a you know. For, for doing what he's doing, given all, you know, what he's gone through. But to line up your fullback on the left side all by himself and have him run a slant as the only bailout option, it just didn't seem like a good play design and even worse decision to call it in that spot. Well, great information as always. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Yeah, guys, have a great night. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history History is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, thank you for taking the time. So as we sum up the conclusion of that game, what would you make of the play calling in that sequence by Steve Sarkeesian with the game on the line? The shovel pass was certainly a non-traditional option. Yeah, I thought that second down call was one that uh, I thought could have been used in a different way. Um, I understand you're trying to get Julio Jones, you know, your best playmaker on the team, on the field, uh, three shots at it, which they did. But I thought... The way the game was going, Tevin Coleman was a guy who was really finding some way with his defense, running the football. He had a great day running the football. I thought, okay, on first down, you throw the fade to Julio, you give him a chance, it doesn't work. Okay, it's second down from the nine-yard line, and you still have two timeouts. Here's a chance for you to try to squeak in a run right there where most defenses during that time, as Cordell knows as well, when you're that close to the end zone, they play that kind of end of the back line, end of the front line kind of defense, and you can possibly pop a run in there, and Tevin Coleman was doing really well. So I thought that was a chance to do that. Uh, the third down call them slant. They probably wish he wouldn't have called it. It would have gave him more room to work there at the nine-yard line for the fourth down play. But the sprint out, I thought, was kind of you know kind of questionable as well because as a as a guy in that ball game who was really moving well inside the pocket, I thought giving Matt Ryan the chance to have full field to be able to work that defense, and he did a good job moving inside the pocket throughout that game. Maybe he could have made a play with his legs or try to create a play instead of him sprinting out and you cut off half of the field. And I know you're trying to give your guy a chance at the 
play there at the end. Uh, I just thought if you would have gave Matt another chance to have three, four receivers and have the full field to work with, maybe the outcome could have been a little bit different. But uh, you let me learn from it, and you know I know they want to give Julio a chance, and they did that. DJ, in the second half, correct me if I'm wrong, was there nine carries for 36 yards? I think somewhat the yep. same scenario we, we had again from last year in the Super Bowl. You look at this team, they what did they do in the second half? Uh, they couldn't stop the run or stop the offense of New England, so it kept them out on the field for a long time. To me, the, the Falcons' defense looked gassed. And then all of a sudden, they didn't run the football to try to control or get some form of momentum. You know, is it Steve Sarkeesian or is it Dan Quinn? Who is it? Because it's the same thing again, different coordinator. Well, you know what, you bring up a good point because there was a moment in that game where opposite of what happened last week when they played the Rams, they came out in the third quarter and they had the ball for eight minutes or so going into that third quarter and kind of gassed the Rams defense. And I thought Philly came out and did kind of the similar same thing. And if you remember, Brooks Reed goes down at probably about the – five- or six-yard line, which kind of stops the momentum of Philadelphia right there. Mm-hmm. And they end up taking a field goal. So that was a good point in the game where they were gassed, they got the timeout, and were able to hold Philly deep, Philly's offense, I should say. So now it's only 10 to 15. You give your offense a chance. And in that second half, it was tough to run the football. You know, Devontae wasn't himself in that ball game. They really stifled him. Uh, said Tevin made some few plays here and there. But I thought they felt as though they could win the ball game throwing the football, and they wanted to keep the ball in uh, their best player's hand, which is Matt Ryan, and trying to distribute the football. So it, it's a combination of, uh, yeah, some of the play calling, you could say it's suspect at times, but uh, I think it ultimately comes down to execution. That's kind of been the issue all year long is you've had execution issues on offense. And then the red zone woes. It's been just crazy that you haven't been able to score touchdowns in the red zone. And this game was similar where – uh, Philadelphia really kind of gifted you those 10 points with the two turnovers early in the ball game, And after that, you were kind of stifled. DJ Shockley is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. DJ, where do you think Matt Ryan is at this stage of his career? MVP last season, his numbers dipped this year. Well, I, I think coming off last year's season, you kind of expected him to take a dip. I mean, what he did last year was pretty, pretty sight unseen of the way he went out and played and put up the numbers. You, you thought this year he would go down some. Uh, I still believe Matt is one of the, the top quarterbacks in this league. Uh, he plays like it. He's, he's kept his team in tons of ball games this year. He's made plays for them. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to win those big games when they matter. And I think that's the biggest thing that's holding Matt back now is, yeah, he's won playoff games. He's won MVP. He's made it to the Super Bowl, but he hasn't gotten his team over that hump. And until he does that, people still are going to look at Matt and not say he's, an elite guy who belongs in the same class as some of the other guys who won Super Bowls. But until he does that, uh, I think he'd still be looked at in that kind of light. Does Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, leave to go to Seattle and fill that vacancy? No, I think they're really invested in Sarkeesian right now, especially in the first year. And I think the blueprint of what happened, I know there are two different types of guys, but the blueprint, I think, has been set for with this style of offense that they need at least two years to get acclimated to the style in which Sarkeesian is going to call plays. And they did that with Kyle. Their first year, they kind of struggled, Kyle Shanahan. Then the second year, they kind of took off. And I'm hoping that that's kind of a similar thing. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Sarkeesian going to Seattle, but I expect him to still be in Atlanta and be a big part of what they're doing because I don't think they want their quarterback going into their left year 11th year in the league, having to have a different coordinator come in 
in less than three years. So we have three coordinators in, you know, the last three or four years. I don't think they want that to happen and trying to work from, you know, ground up again with him and trying to rebuild that kind of relationship with a new offensive coordinator. Spotlighting the Falcons with DJ Shockley. DJ, now the offseason for this team has started. What are the club's priorities when it comes to contracts and free agency? Like last year, we are talking about Devontae Freeman for months. Yeah, you know what? I think the biggest thing going into the offseason is definitely going to be solidifying some spots on that offensive line. They had some issues at the guard spot. Um, I know that's one big priority for them, especially going into the offseason. Um, but on the other hand, you still have everybody – uh, back, I, I think the biggest next question is going to be what do you do with Tevin Coleman uh, when it's time to talk about him because we've seen this year when Devontae went down, Tevin stepped in and was a, a big catalyst to keeping his offense going and when they both are healthy they're a dynamic duo so that's going to be tough to see what they do with Tevin Coleman but I think on the defense side of the ball do you bring a Dante Poback who was here for on a one year deal who I thought played pretty well towards the end of the season uh, really was a force on the inside. Do you bring him back? Adrian Claiborne is another guy that we know he had a six-pack game versus Dallas, was a key callus on the other side of Big Beasley rushing the passer. So those are two big names up front that you have to really think about. But for the most part, they locked up their corners. They got a young Saints and Keanu Neal. Uh, both linebackers are young and can run, and Deion Jones and Devondre Campbell. But uh, I think that interior up front, the trenches, is where they're really going to be looking at can they fill the void there and get some better guys there. DJ, thanks so much for all of your help again this season. You know we'll be in touch during the offseason whenever there is Falcon news. All right, fellas. I appreciate it. Appreciate y'all having me on all year. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle the Podcast, it's time for Cordell to let loose as my broadcast partner metaphorically slashes some players and coaches across the league. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension, a competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your or chin strap because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. Let's start in Tennessee. Mike Malarkey, no longer head coach of the Titans. Here's Tennessee GM John Robinson on the coaching move. We have decided to part ways with Mike Malarkey as our head coach. Um, like to thank him for all he's done uh, for this team, uh, this community, and wish him the best moving forward. We will begin the search immediately. For a new head coach, our goal remains the same. We are committed to our fans to bring a championship home to this great city and state. These decisions are never easy, uh, yet Amy and I remain steadfast. And the most important thing is the team. Putting our players in position to maximize their ability in all three phases of the game. I'm very proud of the success we have had over the last two seasons and look forward to working with our new head coach and moving us closer to and ultimately winning a championship. 
We'll begin the search immediately and update you through our PR team upon completion of each candidate that we interview. Now, if I wanted to be cynical, I could say, ladies and gentlemen, the new head coach of the Tennessee Titans, here is Jeff Fisher. But we're going to move beyond the easy jokes. Cordell, given your relationship with Mike Malarkey, the time you spent together in Pittsburgh, what do you make of today's news coming out of Tennessee? Well, it sounds as if there was a level based on what the reports are here on ESPN.com mentioning that the stubbornness of, of, of Mike Malarkey, uh, failure to scream, uh, to scheme around uh, Marcus Mariota were his demise. Um, I'll just say this. Anytime you put a team in position uh, to accomplish the things that they have, something that hadn't been done since, as you mentioned a second ago, Coach Jeff Fisher, which is getting the team uh, to the divisional championship game, uh, one game away from playing in the AFC championship game, something that hadn't been done in quite some time, to see him now fired uh, because of alleged stubbornness uh, stemming from maybe a decision of maybe not getting rid of some of the coaches rather be on the defensive side of the football or even the offensive side of the football uh, end up costing him job, his, his job. If that's the case, I would say shame on John Robinson. Because one thing I know for sure, if you look at teams like uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, if you look at teams like the Cleveland Browns, if you look at teams uh, that hadn't been able to be truly relevant in the sense of getting to places like this Tennessee Titans team did, as average as they were at times, Knowing that you didn't have DeMarco Murray, knowing all you had was Derrick Henry, your quarterback probably, especially within the first quarter, threw the ball about as good as he could have thrown the football all year, throwing the football down the field. Um, you end up now coming back the next day and saying that Mike Malarkey is no longer the head coach. Now, I have, I have a great relationship with Mike, Mark, Mike Malarkey, but this is not about the friendship between he and I. This is about an organization that finally has gotten his feet on the ground in the right way. To where as you move forward in the, in the offseason, as far as free agency is concerned, when you move forward, when it comes down to the draft and what you need, whether it's trades, whatever the case may be, you have now set yourself back a, a little bit because now whomever... That is, you bring in to help the new process that you're about to take on moving forward. It's, it's almost as if it's starting all over again. So, you, you know, you to jump the gun this quick, you know, every bit of what, 10 hours, maybe maybe 15 hours since we saw it on NFL Network below the ticker that Mike Malarkey would keep his job along with other things we were hearing leading up to this weekend that he was going to keep his job to now see it come to an end. This is why organizations don't have an opportunity to be successful long-term. Because the inability to create stability within the organization, team with teams like New England Patriots, with teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, now with a team like the Oakland Raiders, they feel like they're trying to make up because they may feel like right now, because of how they've gone through nine different coaches over the years, dating back to the time in which we knew John Gruden was there, which is in the early 2000s, you say, you know what? We're going to maybe in some mind, some people's minds say, we're going to overdo it, make sure it never happens again, and just give them a 10-year deal. Well, you know what? Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland, Tennessee is not even trying to do that. So I, I, I slash uh, the GM John Robinson uh, for this move of not allowing what you have in place, which is something really good, to continue because these guys have bought in. These guys played hard. They end up just playing against the football team in the New England Patriots that I think schematically played much better football and they couldn't make the stops when they were supposed to. 
So I just look at it to say this, that I just think this was a, this was a hasty move. And I think the Tennessee Titans are going to struggle because of that as they move forward, at least for the next couple of years. And so with this, while this is a team that Mike Malarkey has had for the last two years and they've trended in the right direction, last year, what did it come down to? Marcus Mariota ended up hurting his leg, playing against Jacksonville on the road. They win that game, they win a division, and they get into the postseason. Because of the injury early in the game, they lost the game. And all of a sudden this year, they end up taking care of their business and they end up getting in, whether it's through help or what have you. They got into the postseason. They beat one of the better teams in the AFC in Kansas City. They go on the road against New England, and not too many people get an opportunity to win when they come through there, other than Joe Flacco and the Baltimore Ravens that we can remember that actually went in and had two opportunities back-to-back years to beat this team to get to a Super Bowl, but it ended up happening once. So, I, I you know, if there's anyone I have to slash, I would say it's the GM, GM John Robinson, uh, for making this move, knowing that while it was a tough game to lose, you don't want to become a prisoner of the moment and react out of emotions. And sometimes those emotions catch up with you. You think the grass is green on the other side. The things that you thought wasn't working end up being something that was really, really good as you move forward. And I think that's what's going to happen because the personnel grouping doesn't allow you to be like the New England Patriots. It doesn't allow you to be like the New Orleans Saints. It doesn't allow you to be able to do all of those great things because the personnel grouping doesn't allow it to happen. It's about running the football and being physical. And that physical style of football, you think they're going to bring back Jeff Fisher? That, that's the breaking news. Back in Tennessee, Jeff Fisher comes back to coach his old team. And why they did it with John Gruden, now why not with John? I'm just saying. Give him $100 million, too. Give him Jeff a matter of fact, you know, just give him maybe 20 but not that much. But I'm just saying. You know, so I, that, if I have to slash anyone there in Tennessee, um, I thought Mike Malarkey kept it together well enough to get them in the position they're in because all you ask for is a chance. They got the chance. They took advantage of it. Somebody has to lose. The better team won. And so all of a sudden, you think they're coming back with the same group of guys. All of a sudden, now here it is. Mike Malarkey's been been run out of town. And uh, I, I'll slash again. Like I said, GM John Robinson, I think, for making a hasty move that, um, that, that will cost his team, I would think, maybe a year or so to get it back together. Because there is talent. It's just a matter of what direction you want to go in, and obviously it's not with Mike Malarkey. Malarkey undeniably deserves credit for changing. The culture of the organization, go back to a few years ago, Tennessee with a combined tally of merely five victories over the span of two years. Jumped up to nine wins last year, nine wins this year, made it to the divisional round of the postseason. We'll get back to this tomorrow when we have our weekly conversation, bi-weekly now in the postseason, with Peter King of the MMQB. Cordell, we've talked a lot about the Steelers and the Jaguars, but the audience is always changing, so let's circle back to what went down yesterday in Pittsburgh. Where do you want to start when we have more analysis of the Steelers? I'll tell you what, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, where do you start? I mean, whether it's now to be able to put up that many points that they put up yesterday, that's commendable against that defense, the best defense in all of football, I would say. Uh, carried this team in Jacksonville throughout the year, been able to make plays offensively and defensively. But, you know, Ben Roethlisberger played a much better football game. Matter of fact, he played, I would say, you know, superstar type football. I mean, look at the throws he made. Le'Veon Bell, touchdown. Uh, Antonio, Antonio Brown, uh, two touchdowns. Martavis Bryant, 
a touchdown. I mean, yeah, he turned the football over. He threw an interception as well as fumbled it for a touchdown. And let me let me go here with the Jacksonville Jaguars real quick. On a regular season, they had 22 interceptions. They took two back to the house. When it came to forced fumbles, they forced 17. They recovered 12, and they end up scoring five on touchdowns. So of those 17 with recoveries, they recover the football off of forced fumbles 70% of the times. When it comes down to recovering the ball and taking it back to the house, they score 41% of the time. So that was a team that you could not miss a beat when it came down to what you were trying to do. And I think we end up seeing that early in the game when it jumped out something like 14 or 21 or nothing right out the gate. But here's my problem with this, is while you had all those issues on this football team uh, with Pittsburgh all year long. I thought they bounced back well. I thought they played extremely well. But one particular play, even though in the first quarter on fourth and one, on the plus yard line on fourth and one, they all of a sudden had the entire defense and even the scout team in the backfield making a tackle on Le'Veon Bell. That's football. That That's some stuff you just you just have to let, let it be when it comes to what happens between the lines. But when it comes to coaches making decisions, Two minutes and 18 seconds left. Tell me a time in which you knew for sure that you had Jacksonville's offense with Blake Bortles as the quarterback contained. Parts of the game, just like you you go back and forth in in any game, in any sport. At at some moment in time, someone's going to have the better end of the stick. But when it's your decision that could determine the outcome of a football game, on when it's two minutes and 18 seconds left on the clock, I don't care who ordered the, the, the call? As the head coach, when it's, re, when it's relayed to the quarterback, you do not onside kick when you're not a very good onside kick team, let alone they haven't made any stops. So when I saw the pressure by Coach Mike Tomlin, as much as I love him, he's one of the better coaches that in the National Football League. He said, we made a decision based on we knew we could not stop them. Well, if you know you can't stop them, why do you make the field shorter? Kick the ball, squib kick it. Squib kick the football, let it does it do his little end over end, dead kind of knuckleball kind of kick. Let the ball hit the ground to force the, 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 the receiver to, to find where the ball is, to get your guys down there to cover it, to have them deeper in their territory. Maybe inside the minus 20 to minus 15 yard line, you can somewhat guarantee yourself an opportunity to win that football game. But they put it into the hands of the kicker, which... It's not his fault. You're playing on grass. You're not successful doing it. It ends up hitting the kicking team. I mean, it was just one of the worst plays I thought I saw all day. Terribly And it was done by an organization that get tremendous amount of respect based on what they do and who they are. So if there's anyone that gets slashed, Mike Tomlin gets slashed for that. And I say with authority. Matter of fact, let me go back to Jacksonville, by the way. Well, let's talk about that. Yes, because, you know, I told you five years ago. We had not met, but I put it out there into the universe. Jacksonville, one of these years, it's going to go from worst to first, Cordell, from three victories all the way up until the AFC title game, a matchup coming up against the Patriots. In the best stat of them all, leading into this game, when they do not turn the football over, this team is 9-0. And when I say turnover, I don't mean fumbles or I mean Blake Bortles throwing interceptions he threw another donut for interceptions just like he did last week and they won the game so right now this team is 10 and 0 when he does not turn the football over this team again after being able to to scoop 
you know, get another fumble recovery, uh, create another fumble, which is 18, get a recovery, which is 13, and score, that's another one. It goes from five to six. This team, I, I, I basically said this when I was talking to Stan Savern in Pittsburgh on ESPN Radio there in the city of Pittsburgh. I say to him, I am spotting the, the Jacksonville Jaguars six points. Six points, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, whichever. Or two field goals, whichever. I spotted them six points on air. Not because I want to, it's because I have no choice based on what they do statistically. And sometimes numbers, sometimes doesn't tell the, the, the total truth. Well, these numbers for Jacksonville are about as real as they get. They create turnovers, interceptions, they can take it back to the house. Most importantly, what they do more times than not is they create great field position for the offense. And when they create force fumble, when they force the fumbles, they recover it over 70% of the times and they score over 40% of the times off of those balls that they recovered. This is, this is again, as I said before, all, all, all over the last month and a half, no one wants to see the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's including the New England Patriots. Not that they defense, don't want to. and you don't want to see Leonard Fournette at all. No question oh, I about mean, it. Come on. I mean, what did he put up to yesterday? 109 yards? And he was hurt. And three touchdowns? The first time that happened for a rookie since the 1950s. That's a long time since a rookie has been able to go into a playoff game and be able to put up that that many points. And got, as you mentioned, spinning out of a play, twisted his ankle. He limps inside. You look like the world's coming to an end. He comes back in the football game. I mean, if this guy can stay healthy, this is the kind of football we saw from players like the Adrian Petersons of the world when they first came in the National Football League. That's the type of football we saw from this young man. And it's not like, you know how sometimes guys just, or, or Barry Sanders, where they just become extremely creative? Well, he attacks the line of scrimmage, understanding where he's going. He's not a lateral runner like a Le'Veon Bell. He hits the whole John Blazing. Primetime said on his show, well, when, when, when after the game and he covered the guys, I think what is look good, feel good, play good, something to that against, you get the call, whatever it is. He comes out and calls Leonard Fournette the tiptoe burglar. Leonard Fournette goes out and ball, he gets on the show again. He say, I remember when you called me the tiptoe burglar. <laughs> it was because how great he played at the beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden, it looked like he started tipping. And so all of a sudden, he looked like he took it personal, and he runs the football extremely, I was trying to get to him, Ezekiel Elliott-like, mm-hmm. but more explosive between the tackles as far as being able to run someone over and actually invite the hits. Similar to what Ezekiel Elliott did in the, in the preseason, but he figured out that's not the way to play the game because that means my career won't last that long. But this guy, Leonard Fournette, he said it when he came into the National Football League. Yeah, the After NFL playing easy, the right? SEC? Yep. Oh, I mean, it's he's not afraid to run the football. And again, Blake Bortles has gotten his team to the AFC Championship. And I say it as I said before when it comes to finding a quarterback. I am not spending all that money on Alex Smith to do something less than what you did with what you have. The kid's going to get 19 million bucks left, uh, 19 million bucks because they pick up the option year for him. Play it out, grab a kid in the draft and move on. But if you try to go grab somebody to try to make this better, thinking that it automatically happens or as you go into a Super Bowl, it's not guaranteed. But you know for sure, you bring in Alex Smith, what's guaranteed? So you're going to have to give him his money. So if I had to play the numbers game, Blake Bortle keeps his job. 
Do I go in the draft and grab another quarterback? You're darn skippy, I do. This football team, with what he did yesterday and what he did in, in the, I would say, two games prior to the Buffalo game last week, playing against San Fran and Tennessee, I asked the question, which quarterback is we going to see? We're going to see the three-game stretch where he has seven touchdowns, no interceptions, completing 70-some percent of his passes. Or are we going to see the guy that threw five interceptions in two games? And what did we get? We got more of the three-game stretch with no turnovers, making great decisions. But most importantly, when having to make plays, he gave you five rushes for 35 yards, averaging seven yards a run. That, that, is, that is great. Not good, but that's great football in the playoffs, especially for a guy that's been through a tremendous amount of hell. Let's just say it, based on how he's been playing over his career in Jacksonville. He's been horrible. And to see him play as well as he did yesterday and look as poised as he did, I'm glad he's having a chance to play on the road because sometimes to people in those areas that remember how tough you played, how tough it's been for you, and you know the Boo Birds have been there for some time, you know, it's almost like it's best that he is on the road playing. So hopefully they can, you know, get their feet on the ground and, and stop throwing mud at everybody that said what they couldn't do and get focused and get their feet back on the ground. And this defense get ready to, Try to do the scoop and score type deal off a turn off of fumbles. Uh, get some interceptions. Put number 12 on his back. Because if you don't, and you don't make the short tackles, and you don't seal off the edge, and cornerbacks don't play throughout the entire play or even the game, you know, it may get out of control to where you know how efficient that team is in New England, especially when it figuratively smell a little blood. They'll end up uh, using it against you. And before you know it, they end up winning the game. But yeah. Mike Tomlin, he gets slashed. And by the way, Jacksonville is the scariest team in all of football as we speak. In part because Blake Bortles was not sacked at all yesterday. Got about five minutes left in this segment. Let's circle back to a game for the ages. Still amazing that the Vikings won in dramatic fashion. Spend a couple minutes on your takeaways from what happened, not only in the thrilling conclusion, but leading up to the end of the game between New Orleans and Minnesota. This is this is what I'll say, and, and, and I say this on our show. Um, just force Drew Brees to throw the football. We got a sample size of that in the second half. And you saw a team that I thought after being up 17-0 in the first half, they looked a little lackadaisical. And they end up allowing one of the better players, in my opinion, when it comes to quarterback, and he's literally second to none. He doesn't get enough credit. They're not paying attention to him enough. But I think his numbers is better than most in all of football in the history of the game. That's Tom Brady. That's Joe Montana. That's John Elway. That's, uh, that's, that's Dan Marino. That's Dan Fouts. That's every quarterback that ever played the game. His numbers are, are, if not comparable, better than all of them. The only problem is he's only got one Super Bowl, and he does play for the New Orleans Saints. And you know what? It's not the biggest market in the world. But when ever since he's gotten to New Orleans after Katrina. Before that, it was a team that John Forcade, you know, Bobby Bear, who we know came on our show a week or so ago. It was, they were average at best, best, and they were more known for the Dome Patrol with Ricky Jackson and company. But now Drew Brees comes in and makes this team and organization relevant when it comes to competing. And I thought that defense uh, really uh, slowed down just a little bit, and, and it became a little scary. But With all that being said, when it comes down to the last part of the game when Marcus Williams did not make that play, 
when it came down to Stefan Stephen Diggs, who ended up catching, I mean, this is a true testament of playing for 60 minutes, guys. Ladies, whoever is listening, is while in the very beginning of this football game, you thought it was about to be a blowout by the Minnesota Vikings. Not too many turnovers. Obviously, they're running the, the touchdowns. And, and then all of a sudden, it gets to the point where you end up having a few glitches in the system on the defensive side of the football for, excuse me, for Minnesota. And you end up seeing a football team that, that was giving up a tremendous amount of plays. Uh, whether it's the linebackers and Kendricks, whether it's Smith, um, whomever it may be, when it came down to having to make the plays like we've been accustomed to seeing them make, they weren't able to make those. And so I'll just say this. And Andrew Sendejo, he ended up getting concussed, uh, in which he's a big part of what they do in the secondary and how they actually create their, their plays. But while you want to be frustrated at Marcus Williams, all you do is just catch, you know, catch Stephen Diggs in the air or do something. But for Stephen Diggs to have the awareness after the ball was thrown to him, with wishful thinking, to keep his feet, knowing that he thought, thinking he was going to get hit, to keep his feet to score, I mean, what do you call that play? The immaculate reception? I mean, what do you call it? Miracle in Minnesota. The miracle in Minnesota? I mean, how do you, you know, do you slash anyone in this case? I mean, to me, like, look at the numbers. Both quarterbacks. What, they put up 24, 25 or 40? One throws for 318, the other throws for uh, 280-something. One throws two touchdowns in the interception, and the other one throws one touchdown. In the, I mean, what do you do and what do you say? You know, so for me, it, it's, it was, a, it was a, you know, a great way to finish the evening of watching football. Um, but at the same time, my goodness, when do you watch football in the postseason like that? I mean, there's never been a play in my time when everything seemed like it was lost and done. Oh, give me a sec. Can I get some horns? Can I get some horns, please? Yeah, one I, need more. Some. We take I don't need one you to more. dictate what I do here. I just need what I need because this is where I'm talking. You sit back and you listen because you've been talking trash about Case Keenum for a year and a half. So why I'm trying to be real gentle here and you try to suppress my conversation. Can I get the horns again, please? Can I? <laughs> Case Keenum is in the NFC Championship. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.